Well, I, um, I really consider this my second Sunday here, but everybody kept asking me, uh, so are you ready for this morning? It started making me nervous. <laughs> I was fine until everybody was asking me that. Oh, wow. Well, this morning, um, uh, I hope to uh, sp- speak to you a little bit more from who I am. Not that I wouldn't do that other days. But uh, to speak to you a little bit more from just things that the Lord has taught me over the years and, and how he's grown me. Uh, really, this morning is about getting to know each other a little bit better. Uh, and I, I appreciate a statement that I heard G. Vernon McGee make one time when he was talking, when he was sharing in front of a congregation um, as a guest preacher. And... Um, And he said to them, we don't really know each other. And he said, but I can tell you that if you knew me as well as God knows me, you wouldn't want to listen to me. (laughs) And then he followed with, and and if I knew you as well as God knows you, I wouldn't want to talk to you. (laughs) So this morning, it's, it's more about getting to know each other a little bit better. And I want to just share with you four verses that God has and what, that God has used in my life and what He's taught me through these four simple verses in the coming weeks. Now, the, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about you know big issues in our relationship with the Lord. And so these verses don't hit on things like what brought me to Christ. Um, or, you know, what taught me about uh, living in this world, in a world that is, is corrupt and, and um, laden with sin. But in the coming weeks, for instance, next week, we'll look at Genesis 3 together. We're going to look at just how it is that, that our world became what it is. The following week, we're going to be looking at John 3 and Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus and what it means to be born again. The week following that, we're going to look at 1 John 4, 7 through 11, and the idea of what does it mean to love one another? What is the result of God changing us as from our being born again? So those are the big ideas that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. This morning I want to share with you from four verses that have impacted me. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless this time with us together. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for being here. Being here with my family and with our church family that you have so much ahead for us to learn from each other through. Lord, we stand in line of a relationship that goes back 2,000 years. I think of, of the Apostle Paul serving as a pastor from a distant land to the cities that he would minister in. I think of him dispatching Timothy to Ephesus to teach them to observe sound doctrine. Lord, this is a relationship that you have 
um, endowed that you have um, instituted of pastor to congregation. And Lord, I, I don't take it lightly. And at the same time, uh, I don't want to take it too seriously either. Lord, we want for you to bless the years to come. We want, Lord, for you to minister to each of us through your truth, through your Holy Spirit, through the relationships that you create among us. Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You are the creator, the God of this entire universe. And we just want to participate a little bit with what you're doing within it and give you just a tad bit of the glory that you deserve in our lives. But we want to make sure it's all the glory that we can give. So Father, I pray that you'd not just only bless this time, but bless the coming years that we would serve you together in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First verse I'd like to share with you that the Lord used to impact me is Isaiah 42.8. Isaiah 42.8. We've all heard the statement, he thinks the world revolves around him. Maybe you've described your son or your daughter to your spouse that way. Uh, maybe you've described your boss that way before. Uh, maybe it's a, a family member or something like that. Uh, unfortunately, we've also known pastors who have thought that the church should revolve around them. I, I, that has not been the situation here at Harvest. That's one of the things that attracted me to Harvest was the healthy relationship that you have had with your pastors here. Well, in Isaiah 42, 8, it says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And, you know, if somebody walked up to you and said, I'm the boss. You know, if you were kind of like uh, pl- trying to plan something out and they said, I'm the boss. Or if you were kind of uh, in another situation, they walked up and said, okay, wait a second there. You can all call me the owner. I mean, you just kind of look at the person and be like, okay, where, where did he get this idea from? You know, it's odd to hear another person make a statement like that. God defines himself as the owner, the ruler of this universe when he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I mean, it's almost like uh, end of discussion. He's interested in one thing primarily, and that is his glory. He commands us, and I think I shared this uh, back in August, God commands us that we should have no other gods before him. To do otherwise is idolatry. God is not an idolater. He has no other gods before himself. He can give glory to no one else because when he looks in the mirror, he sees someone that is deserving of all of the glory in all of the universe. And he is true. He is righteous. He would be unrighteous to give glory to anyone but himself. So I grew to realize that God was not out for my comfort or necessarily my interests, except for when my interests are his interests. 
or I should say his interests are my interests. I have to be real careful here. I've got other verses flying into my head from other parts of scripture, but I have to be careful that we don't make a sermon out of every, each one of these four verses here. But um, he's not overly concerned with how I think he should behave. I'm, I'm really, um, I'm always kind of uh, amused when, and, and most recently, most of my work was with teenagers, and I've always been amused when a teenager would say, oh, I don't think that's how God should be. Or I have a problem with God being like that. And, and really, that's, that's uh, like the, the, pot, the clay saying to the potter, hey, you're not supposed to make me like this, or, or what are you doing? You know, the clay is just, that's what it is. It's clay to be molded. And that's who we are, and he is the potter. I can remember talking to a friend in college, um, and his name was Joel, and Joel didn't have a really good history with authority in his life. He had some really bad experiences with a stepfather and with, with stepbrothers that, that were allowed to treat him really poorly. Um, and, and his own father and his own family situation. Joel spent his life fighting against authority, fighting against people that were over him. Unfortunately, um, Joel took his life eventually. He was a friend of mine in college. And as we were talking about this idea, um, I remember reading uh, some scriptures and reading a book that, that really started bringing this idea home that God was out for his glory. I was kind of talking with Joel about this. And Joel said, looked at me and says, God, by that description, sounds pretty self-centered. And I looked at him and I said, Joel, I think that if anyone in the universe has a right to be self-centered, it's God. The reason why it's wrong for us to be self-centered is because we're not God. Um, I adjusted my journey as a follower of Christ to God's standard. I knew whatever God planned for my life, it was going to be for His glory. I also decided that the more I made my goal His glory, the sooner I would find delight in God's plans for my life. And when I stomp around my home like I'm the king of the castle and all my subjects are not doing what I think they should be doing and you should be over there and you should be doing that and you two just need to be quiet. When God is so gracious to me in that moment, it, he reminds me to get away and realize that it's better to be a bellman in his kingdom. It's better to be a, a, a caretaker in his kingdom than the king of my dung pile. And in those moments, God graciously can allow me sometimes to come back to my family and say, you know what's happened here? I've been living for my own kingdom. My little tiny insignificant where I'm supposed to be king and I haven't seen the opportunities here to serve the Lord in my relationships here in our home. If you homeschool, you know that that happens about 100 times a day. 
those opportunities to say you're sorry and to correct things. So along these same lines of defining the direction of my life, I found comfort in another verse, and that's Romans 8, 28. Give you a chance to turn there. And I want to let you know, you know, we're going to be doing a lot with the screens and the projectors and things like that. Um, and put, you know, I'm interested in having scriptures up before you on the screens, but also the, I want to hear pages flipping. Don't stop bringing your Bibles. It, we put it on the screen because in our day and age, it's a wonderful thing that we can all find a version of the Bible that, that is translated for different purposes and that we can best understand it through that way. And so if we're preaching from, we got to choose a version of the scriptures to preach from. And so that's going to be on the screen. But bring your Bible. And um, for one thing, I always love to kind of pull something out and, you know, who's got the NIV and, and you know, read that verse here or I'm going to, we're going to want to underline things. You, you're going to need to take at home uh, in your scriptures and you're going to need to find it in your scriptures you're going to need to to use this as a jumping off point in your week in your scriptures and so don't stop bringing your bibles so Romans 8:28 says and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose read that again and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. From this verse, I learned that God was graciously pursuing the good of those who were coming to love him and who were called according to his purpose. In other words, whom he had rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into his kingdom of light, who have become his children having his Holy Spirit indwelling them. God's at work for the good of those people. It's in our nature, though, to cling to any hope that God might be about us. You know, that he's just a, a planet in our solar system and he revolves around us. And so we read this and we think, oh, God's out for my good. What do I want? I want good in my life. Okay, so I'm going to give God whatever it is he wants for me so that I can get good stuff, Right? That's our tendency. You know, that, that's our bent as humans. Um, rather than our life revolving around him in worship, in life worship. But so God does us a favor here and he defines what the good is that he's a, going to be about in our lives when we love him and we're called according to his purpose. So if you see there in the next verse, verse 29 says, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. To be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That is the good that God is aiming for. So he's at work to bring us to the conformity to the likeness of Christ. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So this clarified two things for me in my life. One, I can trust that God's plan for me is good. And I can comforted by, be comforted by this as I seek to love him more. As I seek to, to, 
to draw out more his calling for my life. I could trust that if God wanted me to move my family from Rapid City to Crawfordsville, it's good. It's good. And we take that in faith. Second thing is that becoming more like Christ is a good thing. And the more I become like Christ, the better I will understand the goodness of following Christ. So if we buck against that, if we, if we spend our lives saying, well, well, Lord, what's wrong with you? This isn't good. This isn't the good I was expecting. The more we just delay coming to that realization that, that this really, or the more we delay understanding this as being good. You know, God's always in the business of redefining for us what is going on in life. So the next verse that ministered to me was Romans 6, 4. We should all be about battling sin in our lives. Um, we're promised in Hebrews that it, at any given moment of our life, there is a sin that so easily entangles us. We're called to run the race, to lay aside every in, encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles. There's a reason why that's not defined there. It's because it's basically different for each one of us. We're called to be battling. The battling against sin in my life uh, brought me to study Romans 6. And Romans 6, 4 brought out an amazing promise that that I, you know, it was, it was huge for me. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In this verse, I learned that God has every intention of our living new lives in Christ. That we're not saved to stay the way we are. Salvation in itself is amazing. It's a part of the every spiritual blessing that we've been given in Christ. But we're saved to have a new life. How do we know that from these verses? Notice the two ideas that this verse teaches. Answer me this. Was Christ raised from the dead? Absolutely. I believe that if you do not believe Christ was raised from the dead, you are not saved. Paul tells us um, these things I, I held and I taught to you and are of first importance. One, Christ died and that he was buried according to the scriptures and that he rose according to the scriptures. These are the basics of the good news of the gospel. So Christ was raised from the dead. Now if you notice, well that verse isn't up there anymore, but um, Maybe it'll come back up. Um, if you notice in this, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness in life. The idea is that by accepting Christ's death for us and his resurrection, we are accepting 
our sins being laid on him and being paid for in his death. And the guarantee there is just as he was raised from the dead, so we too might also be raised to a new life. I don't think that uh, God forgot that Christ died and was raised from the dead. And so it's every, he has every intention of us living that new resurrected life. The second thing that um, you know, hammers this home for me from these verses is the statement or, or the purpose clause here. He says, um, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that. That's a statement of purpose. For the purpose of that we might live a new life. If you take out that independent or that dependent clause of just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, press that statement together. You've got just as we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that we might live a new life. And the baptism that's spoken of here is not a physical baptism, but a baptism into Christ. It is, it is what physical baptism represents. My ring is not my marriage. It represents my marriage. In the same way physical baptism only represents the spiritual baptism of being baptized into Christ, into his death, into his righteousness, and being clothed with that. So these, these two statements rocked my world in terms of battling against sin because it changed my prayer life to going from, Lord, I'm sorry that this is a struggle for me. And Lord, could you please give me strength and whatever it is. And you know, once you're done with one thing, the Lord will bring another thing to the battlefront, right? Um, to going, Lord, you have purchased for me a new life. You have promised for me a new life. I believe that Christ, Christ died for my sins. Christ was raised and you have, you have made it your purpose that I will be raised for a new life. And Lord, I claim that new life. Give me that new life. That life is mine in Christ. And that brings great glory to God and it brought a whole new meaning to my battle against sin. Shortly after realizing that the Lord was calling me to, a past, to be a pastor, I began to ask myself, what am I supposed to do as a pastor? And you might, you might have noticed this, and, and I'm comfortable with this, that different pastors are called to different aspects of pastoral ministry. And it, it has to do with their giftedness, it has to do with um, their heartbeat. It has to do with their experience. Well, the Lord brought me to Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. <clears throat> and I believe Jim Spencer brought this, um, uh, this verse to you back in... Um, August or September. It says, he, it was he, being Christ, 
So these are his, his uh, giving, his gifts to the church. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Now the grammar of this would be maybe better read pastor teachers as a single office, single place or position. Verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You know, everything that we want to do here on Sunday morning, we want it to be together, pastor, elders, congregation. We want it to be for that last goal that the body of Christ may be built up. You know, we're in the construction business here. And, and Jesus is the foreman. This is his building. This is his body. And it's kind of a weird thing. We're all parts and we're all, at the same time, we're working on the parts. But, so, just to, to move backwards through this, the ultimate goal here is that the body of Christ might be built up. How is it built up? God's people doing works of service. How are those people prepared for doing works of service. That's, that's a big part of my job. Um, you're going to hear a lot of NFL stories and analogies from me. Um, I just want to give my condolences to the Colts fans. Um, I'm, I mean that, honestly. Um, but you've seen teams make the mistake of hanging all their hopes on one player. And I'm not saying that the Colts have done that. <laughs> but, you know, the Minnesota Vikings all but self-destructed bringing on Brett Favre. As a Green Bay Packer fan, my heart broke for them, you know. Um... <laughs> But we're, you know, we're also seeing with the, the Colts how when one player goes down, how that can affect a whole team. Some people make the mistake of thinking that in bringing in a pastor, you're bringing in a star player. Or you're bringing in the guy that's making everything happen or something like that. Um, the fact is, is that uh, that's a misunderstanding of the pastor's role. The fact is, is that I'm not brought in as some sort of star player. Really, according to Ephesians 4, I'm brought in more as a coach. Amen. I'm brought in to, to help you be prepared for acts of service. And that might be that conversation that you'll have that week with your neighbor. It might be ministering to someone that is, is in need. It, it, it happens in the fellowship time that we have here at church. It'll happen next week um, at the, uh, the harvest dinner. That's my job, is to be the coach. And I will have so much joy doing personal ministry myself as well. And sometimes we as pastors need to pull back a little bit. Because we can end up having a little too much fun in the personal ministry. And sometimes we need to say, you know what? Somebody else is going to be 
do this just fine. And, and I'm going to step back in this situation. Um, I'm called to help you get prepared here for ministry. And the, my primary way of having the responsibility of doing that is through the exposition of God's word. If you look through the scriptures of how often we are told to hold to the truth, I'm spending a lot of devotional time in the book of 1 Timothy because it's Paul talking to a young pastor about this is how you pastor the Ephesian believers. And, and if you look through 1 Timothy, how much of that he's being challenged, hold to the truth, hold them to the truth, confront false doctrine. Because our enemy is a liar. And we're going to look at that next week. We're going to look at Genesis 3. Who is our enemy? And the fact is, is that I, ha- I, I cannot speak to you with any authority if I am not speaking to you from God's word. The way authority works is this. If, if I were to um, follow you home in your car after church today, fly by if I were to follow you home in your car after church today and came up behind you flashing my lights, you know, and got you to pull over, and I walked up and I pulled out, you know, a receipt from my pocket, I was like, you were going 10 miles over the speed limit. You need to uh, send me a check for $150 and write my address down here. Gave it to you. You'd like look at me like, well, who do you think you are? Well, the fact is this. When a police officer pulls you over, it's just one person pulling another person over, right? But there's an authority over the two of you that says, you must listen to this person. It's not, you know, if, otherwise you can be like, okay, I'll arm wrestle you, you know? <laughs> you know, the person that arm wrestles has to listen to the other. You know, but, but the way authority works is that it stands over the two people and says, you need to listen to this person. The only reason why I have any right to get up here and speak is when the authority of Scripture is what I've, I'm communicating. When I'm saying the authority that stands over the two of us says that we are to live in this way. And that is the primary means by which God has called me to be preparing you for works of service. And, and I just share this with you again for you to get to know me a little bit because I know that also this happens within relationship and it's easier to listen to somebody when you know them a little bit better. And that's kind of what this morning's about. I've got no intention of seeking to make Harvest revolve around me as a pastor. God has no plans of giving his glory to someone else. And secondly, this is not the way that the church was meant to function. It's meant to function around the ministry that you are doing as you've been prepared by your coach. And the fact is this, you know, I'm going to disappoint you at some point. Just about everybody here. I'm going to disappoint you at some point. I'm going to not meet your expectations at some point. You know, I'm still figuring out the standing up, sitting down thing during worship. (laughs) If when I stood up, if I blocked anybody's view behind me, I apologize for that. 
<laughs> but, um, oh, that's why there's two screens. Okay, good. But that's, you know what? And I don't mean to mock that at all. A large part of my job right now is to learn how harvest works and to work like harvest works. You know, to have that flexibility. And that's all, I'm, I'm good with that. Maybe that's just my personality. Um, there's going to be times when I'm going to be disappointed with the ministry here. And I expect that. There's going to be times when my expectations aren't met. Here's a little mantra I live by. Expectation without communication is going to lead to frustration. Expectation without communication is going to lead to frustration. I so appreciate the elders of Harvest and how we can sit down and just kind of generally say, okay, how does things work here? And, and, and enjoy things. And, and I appreciate uh, their willingness to, to let me slowly take lead on things. Or, and also the spirit of servant leadership in the elders here. Um, you know, even this morning, somebody came to me and said, I was told to come to you with an announcement. And I was like, I didn't know I'm doing announcements. And, you know, I was able to go to Steve and say, hey, I'm, let's do this for announcements for a while and stuff like that. And, and we have grace with one another. And it's when we're disappointed because we're, we're going to be disappointed with each other. Bottom line, let's just get that out here. You're going to feel disappointment with me. I'm going to feel disappointment with you at some point. You know, that's not the, the uh, standard by which we should work by. You don't want me to work by whether or not I'm going to disappoint somebody or not. Because you're not going to be well prepared. And you're not going to have the joy of, of, of the ministry in that case. And when we, when we don't have our expectations met, so much of us being able to understand where our relationship with God is at comes when our expectations are not met or when we're disappointed and it's what boils up out of us. It's kind of like, that, that's the time to test the water. Where's my relationship with the Lord at? Going back because whose glory am I living for? Right? Um, but during these times, it's going to be important for us to look back and recall the fact that God has called me here that God has called my family here. I can tell you with confidence that God has called me here to be pastor at Harvest. He's ma- <laughs> I'm clapping on the inside. <clears throat> He's made this clear by confirming this within mine and Kelly's hearts. Uh, He's made this clear through godly counsel in our lives. He's also made this clear through many of the God things that we see happen and we saw happen as we prepared for this. I want to share with you, um, if you will, I don't even know how long I've been up here, um, but I want to share with you kind of the timeline of God's bringing us here and, and the God things. And I think you'll pick out the God things that we saw happen. Um, this isn't as much, but I thought it'd be interesting to go back even prior to this year or the last couple of years. Some 15 years ago, this past June, Harvest Fellowship built this building here on this location. One month later, after that, God brought together in marriage a young woman from Wisconsin and a young man from Tennessee. And as we would talk at times 
being willing to go wherever God wanted us to go for ministry, as we would talk about, well, where, where does God really want us? Or, or where, let me put it this way. When we would let, our, let ourselves talk about, well, if, if we were to live anywhere in the country that would be kind of best for being able to stay connected to family, one in Wisconsin, one in Tennessee, we'd ask ourselves, where would that be? And independently, we'd always arrive at, you know, I think the Indianapolis area. And, but at the same time, we'd think, but, you know, put that on the back shelf because that's not how God works, you know. We were willing to go to China when we first got married. We were making plans to go to China when we first got married just because that's where, right, committed Christians went. They went to China. Um, (laughs) Around a year ago, your much-loved pastor, Glenn, announced his retirement, stepping down as your pastor, This came after 18 years of fruitful ministry as the pastor of Harvest and years as the assistant before that. For myself and Kelly, at that same time, God was making us very restless with our ministry in Rapid City. Despite many ministry successes, I'd come home from a retreat or I'd come home from a major trip and just so sharing with Kelly the things that I was excited about from that, and it usually had to do with how the adult leaders were, were doing ministry with the students, how the student leaders were, were ministering um, according to their gifts and things like that. And I was so excited about that, and I would share those things with us. But despite those ministry successes, we still felt that the Lord would be calling us away soon toward pastoring a church. We were ready to go, but we were content to stay. We'd been looking at that point for a while at positions that churches desired to fill. But for every single one of them, I just felt like I didn't fit well. It was usually, you know, the pastor of First Church of the whatever will be responsible for this, this, and this program. He will re- he will head up this, this, and this committee. He will report to this person and this person. And those are great. And there's people that are gifted for that. And we were willing to go anywhere. Um, but I can remember in frustration and, and in a little bit of despair, saying to Kelly one evening when we would talk about this, I said, you know, is it, is it wrong or is it, is it a bad thing to just want to be somewhere where my responsibilities are basically to preach the word and to build relationships? Keep that in mind. Last April, the elders at Harvest decided to hire Jim Spencer for a six-month term as an interim pastor. And I, and I need to tell you, and, and maybe I'm just discerning this, or, but I really believe that, that Harvest and myself will benefit for years to come for that short time of ministry here. Um, I've said this to more than one person. If a church could bring on an interim to function in that way and to kind of work as a headhunter, there is a lot of mistakes that could be corrected in bringing in the wrong pastor. Um, I just think that that was of the Lord. And I know that it was something that God was laying on Jim's heart even prior to, to the elders coming to talk to him about it. Around that same time, Um, disconnected from Indiana, I sensed a real release 
from my calling in Rapid City. I remember specifically telling to call, saying to Kelly, again, one of those late evening discussions, I, I, I raised my hands up like this and I said, I have been released from my ministry here in Rapid City. I'm going to continue to minister here until God leads me otherwise, but I want to tell you, Kelly, he's released me. He's released me from my calling here. That was just about in April of last year. In late June, having uh, put it off many times before, for some reason on, on that day, I think it was probably had to do with turning 38 earlier that week, I felt compelled to go to my boss in Rapid City, the senior pastor there, and talk to him about how the Lord was directing my family. Pastor Dave looked at me, and in disbelief, he was kind of like, he said, J.D., you don't know how much this conversation is an answer to prayer. He said, I have lost sleep over the fact that I believe that the Lord is calling you on to pastoral ministry. And, and I've been struggling with how to bring this up to you. And so we both kind of sat there, kind of staring at each other. And, and we left that, that meeting, you know, in friendly discussion about this. And these were his words. He said, we're going to treat this as a year of transition. You know, six to 12 months to, to find the right place for you. He said, but the way that God has done this, I do, don't think it's going to take that long. He said, I would not be surprised if God has some, a church already set up for you to go to. Now, Pastor Dave is a, is a Jewish man, but I don't think he'd ever claim to be a prophet. But um, it was really interesting the way that that conversation played out and the way that God used that conversation in so many ways. Sometime in June, here in uh, Indiana, uh, Jim and the elders decided that the pastoral search should broaden and that they should reach out to um, schools like Indiana Wesleyan and Moody Bible Institute where I had graduated and in order to, um, because pastors that have graduated from those schools are able to contact the school and find out what churches have contacted them looking for pastors. So the next that came from Moody in early July, just a few days after my conversation with Pastor Dave, with a new fire under me to be looking because, well, now the cat, you know, the cat was out of the bag with my boss. I saw Harvest Fellowship there on the Moody listing of churches looking. And just between an earlier trip that summer and and um, heading off to vacation with my family, I fired off a resume to a few of these churches, and one of those being Harvest uh, in early July. On July 21st, while on a missions trip in Albania, which in a lot of ways was a capstone to my ministry in, in Rapid City. We had different experiences like that in the last year in Rapid City, where Kelly and I would say, this is what we've been moving toward for years. It was a neat experience to take six high school students that I'd been discipling for five years 
uh, through the ministry there to take them and, and five adults to, uh, five including myself, to uh, Barat, Albania, uh, and having built a special relationship with the church there. And who knows, the Lord might have for us to continue that relationship as a church with um, the church of, of believers there in Albania. But while on this trip, that was much a capstone to my time in Rapid City, I'd come down with an upset stomach. Weird thing, just had it for that morning. But I told the team, I better stay close to the facilities here. And um, I actually called it my international business office. <laughs> Kelly told me not to say that. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, I received an email from Kelly telling me about a letter that she received from Jim Spencer. She told me maybe you should check this church out. So with a lot of time on my hands, I, um, I looked over your great website, which I appreciated so much, listened to many sermons, and sent a lot of questions to the elders. You know one of the things that I really appreciated about the church you like to move through books of the Bible. It's very important to me. And, and that's one of the things I appreciated. Um, so after being uh, home for a couple days from Albania, I remember telling Kelly, I said, Kelly, I have a very eerie feeling. There's another one of these God conversations that we had. I said, I, I don't think this is going to be six months. I think God is going to move us from here in a couple months. And I said, and, and we, there, was, there was more churches in the works than just Harvest. We were kind of, you know, at work. But I said, I don't, I don't even know if it's any of the churches we're talking about right now. But I said, we're, we are going to be leaving here in just a matter of months. That was um, the end of July. During the course of our dialogue, um, mine and Jim and the elders, about the position here in the church, uh, the elders were able to send to me doc documents clarifying the, tr the pastor's role with the elders that they had painstakingly been hammering out, and that's, that's a ministry of Jim to your church. Uh, one of these described the job description. It listed, you're called here, you would be called here to preach, to study, to pray, and to build the relationships. You know, sometimes in frustration, when it's God winnowing down what he's really called you to do, that you find life's direction. Again, God's not necessarily interested in keeping us from being frustrated. I was impressed with the evidence of health that I saw at Harvest. I was impressed that you had two relationships with pastors that were healthy, that were long-standing. I was impressed that you could call back one of them to minister here again. That is such a sign of health. I want to tell you that. I was impressed with the servant leadership. I was impressed with the idea that everyone pitching in to seeing the ministry done here, that is a sign of health. That is a sign of a place where the people are being prepared for the work of the ministry. That is biblical. And I appreciated that very much. <clears throat> so I sent um, 
my, you know, statements. Just kind of, uh, I'd filled out some questionnaires. I'd worked on a, uh, on a, what's the word I'm looking for? A paper for ordination that I had to define, you know, who is God? What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Things like that. You know, with all this theological terminology, I, I sent everything I had that I felt like this is, this defines me. This kind of shows where I land on some of these, these hot issues that can divide a church, that can, that can um, cause people to feel like, who did we bring in here? You know, that sort of thing. I sent all of this to the elders. Anything that I felt like would red flag. And, and despite that, Jim and, the, Jim and the elders decided the next step would be for a, a face-to-face meeting and preaching in the service. I know that part of their concern was, how do we bring someone across the country for an interview? Uh, it just so happened that I would be in northern Indiana on vacation with my family from Tennessee that following week. So the decision was made on July 31st after our first contact was July 21st. Ten days after that, to begin um, that I would visit with these final steps. The only challenge was for coming to Harvest after that time. If you remember, back in the beginning of July, we had our first meeting with each other. And I, and I can tell you, and I'm not trying to be manipulative or anything like this, I felt very at home here. Uh, my family felt very at home. I felt very at home sharing God's word with you. Um, my boss back in Rapid City, uh, you know, he was interested. He's, he's probably going to be listening to this one too. <laughs> Dave, if you're listening now. Um, he's very interested in it. Well, how did the sermon go? And, and he could sense that. He said, you felt very comfortable there. You, you connected. Um, just in listening to the sermon, that was kind of another one of those, as I mentioned, wise counsel confirming God's will for us. Um, <clears throat> so the only thing was for us to go back and sell our home in a very poor market, a buyer's market. Having come home and reported this to my boss, it's just, he really confirmed, like I said, the great opportunity this was. We started planning my exit from there. I remembered him encouraging me that despite the down market, he didn't think it would take long to sell our house. He said something to the extent of the way that God is working in your guy's life right now, I wouldn't be surprised if your house sells very quickly. So it sold three and a half weeks later. You know, for more than we paid for it, which you would expect that to happen normally. But in this market, that's, that's unusual. So we arrived here in Crawfordsville on October 4th. Um, to a wonderful welcome, a clean house, freshly planted, planted flowers, and willing arms to unload the trucks. At that Thursday's meeting, um, I informed the, the men, the elder board, uh, that I hope it wouldn't offend anybody that put so much work into the house that we're renting um, just down the road here, but that we'd start looking for, for a new house. And once again, someone spoke up and said, you know, is that same statement. From the way that the Lord seems to be working in your life, I don't think, I wouldn't be surprised it was, if God's got a house in mind. 
Well, Kelly had been doing her homework for the last two months and things like that uh, on websites and things like that. So she knew what was out there. And there was, there was one house that she was really, really interested in. And it's the first house that, that was available for us to look at. And, and that was definitely the case. We'll, we'll be moving next month into um, a house uh, that we've purchased. And it's, uh, in case you want to get your pens out or anything, it's a 1107 Durham Drive in town. There between Washington and South. Yeah. We look forward to welcoming you in. We're planning to have an open house around Christmas time. And I believe you'll see how perfect this place is and that this really was another God thing that he has been going before us, that he has been setting this relationship together, and that he has been um, planning this uh, from the beginning. So sometimes God works this way. Other times he doesn't. When we moved to Rapid City, we were in the middle of an adoption process of our oldest son, and we waited for 11 months from, the, from putting our house on the market, lived in an apartment, and took care of apartment rent and a house payment back in Wisconsin for, for nine months that we were living in Rapid City. So sometimes he works this way and sometimes he doesn't. It will get messy here at times because people are messy. We make messes. It's what we do. But you know, I was visiting uh, with a gentleman in town who's a believer and he asked me, so are you ready for being a pastor? here in Crawfordsville. I looked at him, and I've been feeling this. I had 13 years of pastoral experience. Um, I have the, degree, you know, the degrees, more, more degrees than I need for it, for sure, um, with a, a bachelor's from Moody and a master of divinity from uh, Columbia Bible College. Um, but I told him how I'd been feeling. I said, no, I don't feel ready. I just don't. But I think that's just where God wants me. I think that's just where God wants me. Um, but I know for sure that he's called us here. And we could, that's, that's one of, part of the reason why I'm listing these things off for you this morning. Because I want you to, to be able to celebrate this the same way that our family is and the leadership here are and some of you that I've been able to share these things with already. I apologize that, that you've had to listen through them again. But uh, this, uh, this gentleman replied back with a statement that I've heard before. He said, well, God doesn't call the equipped as much as he equips the call. And that's how he works. God will equip the called to equip the saints for the works of service. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Let's bow our heads and then the worship team will come up and we're going to have a closing song. Father God, um, we're going to look back on this Sunday for, for a lot of years. Lord, I pray that we would look back on this seeing your faithfulness. Lord, I think of what we have saying. Remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, O God. Your grace is enough. Lord, we live and die by your grace. We live and die by your faithfulness to your promises. 
Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord God, that we can trust you. But Lord, we don't take that lightly. We don't assume on that. We pray that you would be faithful to your promises. Lord, you've promised that your body would be built up by your people in their works of service, their ministry to one another, their ministry to the lost, their loving one another. And Lord, you've, you've made this unique position of being a pastor. You didn't have to do it this way. I don't know how else you would have done it, but you would have figured it out. And Lord, so we start this journey together. Lord, we pray, like I said, for your grace, for your faithfulness. Lord, we pray to look back on this time in amazement, not at who we are, not at um, the pastoral ministry here at Crawfordsville, but of who you are, first and foremost. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.